What a wonderful way to start the new year, and we rejoice with her and her walk with the Lord. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Mark, and uh, you've already heard the reading of God's Word, and so if you have your Bible, hold the place open if you would. I, uh, somewhere in the transit between here, my computer and the computer here, uh, the, the uh, outline is there, so you'll just have to follow along with me, and uh, I will uh, try to go as slow as possible uh, to give you that outline that I'm going to be using. We are looking in Mark. Mark's gospel is a fast pace. In fact, this morning we're going to come to that word immediately, how they responded to the message of God as though that Mark is saying, when God's speaking to your heart, you don't need to wait. You need to respond while you hear the voice of the Lord speaking now. And so it is a word of uh, urgency quickly to respond. But it's also a message that was written uh, to people that were suffering, Christians that were facing trials. Last week as we talked about Jesus being cast out into the wilderness and the Bible says and he was uh, there with wild animals. There were some who were uh, facing the what they called the circus where they would literally wrap the Christians up in animal skins and be torn apart by uh, dogs and sometimes beasts. There were other occasions where they were lit up like human torches. And so there were people that were suffering. And so you're hearing words in the message that reminding the people they're not alone and that suffering is a part of uh, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as you begin in this passage, it opens up in verse 14 uh, through verse 20 where it says, And after John had been taken into custody. There is one of those examples because it is a word that describes being betrayed. And so some of those, as Jesus predicted, there would be those that would be uh, handed over by family members uh, to be persecuted. And such was the case to whom Mark was writing uh, his letter to the Gentiles Many of those experience suffering. But in the midst of that, it's uh, thematic in the book of John, this message of the good news. We read that word, uh, gospel, in the very first word, and that becomes the thematic word of Jesus, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the message that changes everything. It's an incredible message because life's continue to be changed by the message of the gospel. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to begin by looking how the gospel sees the fulfillment of God's promise in this good news and how it turns us from our own self and from destruction and turns us to eternal life. And so first of all, we see in verse 14 as the Bible says, and after John being taken into custody, it's as though that when John has to lay the staff down of shepherding people to come to the Savior that Jesus picks up the staff and continues on. You'll understand when you look at the Gospels in each Gospel and its purpose, not all of them in, was inclusive to the whole story like uh, we see here. There's not the birth narrative of Jesus as in Matthew or in uh, Luke. But we also read that uh, the Galilean ministry, as John tells us about Jesus turning the water into wine where it began his Galilean ministry, about a year is simply the absence in time where it speaks about that here was the imprisonment and the really the inauguration of the ministry that Jesus begins to carry the good news. But the first thing I want you to see about this message, what the gospel is, is you'll notice it says, and so after he was taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee. 
Now, Galilee would have been up in the northern area of uh, Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, and it was there that he spent uh, about two years before he began to set his his heart and his eyes and his mind and his purpose to go to Jerusalem where he would uh, become the sacrifice for our sins. But the Bible says he went to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Now, some fascinating things about that. And again, in the next verse it says, For the time was fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so when you look at these two particular accounts, particularly in verse 15, he says, Believe in the gospel. Uh, uh, Linsky in his commentary basically is right because the construction of believing the gospel is being changed. In fact, it's in a neuter tense and it's a preposition which means believe in something. Normally, it wouldn't be something of a neuter or uh, an idea, but it would be of a person. You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But when it uses this context, it's speaking about the totality of everything that's being done for the sake of you and I so that we might be saved. Like, for instance, in Ephesians where it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. The word that, again, is in a, a neuter tense, which is not defining uh, the faith. It's not de- describing the gift. It's describing the process by which God in His goodness is bringing us to salvation. And such is the case here. It is a message that is sent to you from God. In fact, the word good news or the gospel is not unique to the Bible. In fact, there's an inscription that you'll find uh, about Caesar Augustus. And it basically says the good news. It spoke about his birth and his coronation. It was a message that was... uh, Life. It was a, a message of excitement. Really, it was a, it was a, a statement that it was uh, history-altering news. And that's exactly what we describe God's message that is going to change the world. Leave it to God, and God has came through bringing the message, the good news that God has promised, God's message. I... Uh, happened this week and uh, I didn't know if I was going to tell her or not but I you know our uh, our grandson he's been basically saying something like this he wanted a grandson or a grand a, a baby want a baby so he had talked to his parents talked to his dad you know and so uh, they gave us the message that a baby's on the way but they had this little recording they sent to us and it's uh, it's worth everything because finally uh, he's saying something like this I want a baby and his mom says well, what are you going to tell you know as though he's going to ask Santa or something like that said now, I'm going to tell God I need a baby. Well, a week later, good news, God answered the prayer, okay? The baby's on the way. And there's something about that, you know, just turn it over to God. And that's exactly what the good news is about. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that is the message. It is incorporated in the promise and the work of God. Second of all, this uh, good news is the fulfillment of the promise. Notice as he goes on, describes uh, the good news. He says he began preaching. And the word preaching is a word that means to herald a message out. And then in verse 15, for he says, the time is fulfilled. Unique to Mark, like uh, what has been said in Galatians chapter 4, in the right moment of history, not a day ahead, not a day behind, in that right moment The promise that God has made has occurred. And so he's literally showing him here that here's the promise, here's what God has said, and now it's unfolding in the right time. Usually it's descriptive of something of the nature of an event 
that you've longed for and it finally comes, or fruit that has been planted uh, through maybe a tree and now it's ripened. That's the word. Now it is being fulfilled what God alone has promised. If you have your Bible, look with me, if you will, over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 gives us an example. So as we talk about the long examples of promise through prophecy about the one who he was coming, here it's unfolded in chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. He says, but there is uh, no more gloom for her who is uh, in anguish in early times. Uh, chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 1, he says he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. What is he talking about? He's talking about the area of Galilee uh, with contempt. But latter he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, light will shine upon them. So when you talk about the message of the gospel, it is the fulfillment of, he says, they no longer have to live in this darkness. Groping in darkness, the Messiah is coming. Of course, he says back in verse uh, 6 of the same chapter, For un, a child is born unto us, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace, and there will be no end of uh, increase of his government of peace. And so when there is this sum, uh, uh, summoning or this uh, heralding, the good news is here, and to the people of Galilee, it was a reminder of God's promises. Now, when you look at the good news, when I talked about it being in that neuter tense, what, is, what are you talking about? Well, when you try to explain the good news, it's, um, it's described in numerous passages in the New Testament. In fact, uh, in the book of Ephesians, it says, you know, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel... And so he describes the gospel as something that you can bank your life upon because if you ever wanted to know or desired to know truth, the gospel brought truth to you and therefore it can alter everything about what you do and what you think. In the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse uh, 23, he describes the, the, the gospel as that which gives hope. To the people who've lost uh, any kind of uh, hope or despair. He says the gospel is that which gave us the hope that we have lost because of sin and brokenness of our world. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, probably you remember, he says, having sodded your feet in the gospel of peace. The gospel that not only reconciled us with God, the Bible says there is no more uh, uh, judgment, there's no more brokenness between man and God because God has become, uh, through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we have now peace with God. In fact, the Bible says not only that, it's that peace that is described in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians where once there was this wall of enmity that divided us. Isn't it amazing in a world that's divided you and I are the answer, the gospel that says this is what tears down. It doesn't create, it doesn't insinuate, it doesn't build walls between people. It's the source of peace. The good news is what brings people together. And so that which has been lost in relationships broken, it is the gospel that brings us back together. In first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse uh, 10, he describes it as the, the gospel of 
immortality. It's the, the gospel that brings life everlasting. And so when you look at this gospel, you can't help but understand its essence of the promise of God, the fulfillment of what God had been promising to mankind. And so the Bible says in that right moment, at that right time, at the fulfillment the kingdom of God is at hand. Both of those words are in the perfect tense, which means completed. God's, now His goodness, His grace, and His provisions are here with us. And therefore, it reminds us that what it demands of us is a response. As I mentioned to you, when Jesus came preaching, that word caruso is a fascinating word, but it comes from a town crier, someone that you trust, someone that when they herald an information that you respond. For instance, if you know we had a town crier and they yelled out, uh, uh, tornado, well, you would bunker down. A fire, you would make evacuation. And so it is a word that describes that here's a message. Now, therefore, we need to respond rightly to the good news. Here's the good news, and therefore it calls us to respond. But there's a struggle of responding in the human heart. It's called the will that we have. Now, you might describe it this way. I remember when growing up, uh, like uh, some of the young folks here, I see them sometimes bringing their friends to church, and that's what we used to love about church, being with friends. And after church, me and David would always uh, check with our parents to see what the menu was. You know, if they were, one was having stew, we weren't going there, okay? And one was having pot roast or chicken, that's where we were going. And so we would check the menus, and then we would say something like this, Dad, can, can I go over to David's house? And my dad would say something like this, no, son, not today. Well, you know, I mean, it's settled, right? Well, I had one more avenue. I'd go over to Mom and said, Mom, can I go over to David's house? And trying to get a more favorable answer. That worked maybe once, and then they got together, and that ended that. But you see what I did is I tried to divide the sources of the wills. When, when Jesus is speaking about this coming of the good news... It's describing a kingdom. When you talk about a kingdom, it assumes, first of all, there is one who now is king. He has to be acknowledged as his, his lordship as king. Second of all, it assumes that he has authority. And thirdly, his words have a response on those that will listen. To respond to his grace, to accept his gift. Kind of an incredible statement of the distinction of Christianity from all the other religions really of the world. Uh, quoting from a, a Dr. Keller, he puts it this way. Right there you see the difference between Christianity and all other religions. No religions because uh, the essence of religions is usually just advice. All the religion in the world is to give you advice or maybe what to do, what not to do. Other religions basically advise, but Christian is basically good news, the gospel. Other religions says uh, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to accomplish... This is how you live in order to be saved. The gospel is basically, this is what has been done in history and what has been accomplished for you through the life and the death of Jesus for you that you may be saved. And therefore, Christians is completely different. The gospel is called grace. That's the reason why it's such good news. It's not based upon what you've accomplished. It's based upon what he's accomplished. It's not... Your record, it's his record. And by that, the Bible says we can be remarkably saved. But as a result of that, we know that the gospel can fall on different kinds of hearts. 
Jesus described it as the parable of the hearts. That the gospel, there was nothing wrong with the gospel, but it fell on different hearts. There were, for instance, some hearts that had heard it and they simply quit listening. It described some whose hearts were uh, literally uh, overwhelmed with the activities of the world. There were those hearts that were so busy. And therefore, the same good news was heard by a large group of people, but only those whose hearts would receive and accept the grace, acknowledge Him as King, and follow Him their life was transformed. And so it's a message with the potential of changing everything, but it depends upon how it is received in the heart. Lane, in his commentary, calls it the radical response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It demands a response. In fact, the response is mentioned in verse 15. He says, And saying to them, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. And he gives two imperatives, present active intensives, which meaning he says, Right now, right this moment, repent. Now, repentant was the basic theme of John the Baptist's message. Jesus' primary theme is the good news of who he is, but to put your trust in that. Repentance is, uh, in fact, biblically, it's a word that describes something of the nuances of being sorrowful. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it means being sorry for the things that we do to the point in which our heart is changed, and the Bible describes that as godly sorrow. But worldly sorry is sorry that something happened or sorry you got caught, but it never changes the activity or the life in which you live. Then it describes from the biblical standpoint, the word itself means a change of mind or some have described it as a change of our directions. To repent means to uh, turn uh, about face, turn a different direction and begin to live. But it's also, when you deal with repentance, in fact in Acts chapter 20 verse 21, he describes the gospel of trusting the gospel and he says repent uh, and he says in regards or toward uh, God. And then he says, and put your faith in Christ. And so he talks about repentance as recognizing the one in whom you've offended. We're going to read the story of a man that they opened up the roof and let, Jesus, uh, uh, let the man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus in the midst of the crowd said something like this. Well, your sins are forgiven. Now, everybody began to say, wait a minute, wait. nobody forgives sins except God. It's, it's as though that when he said that, he was saying this. How can you say you were offended by what this man has done? You see, that's the nature of sin. Every sin offends God. Whether you sin against yourself or someone else or in thought or actions or mind, the Bible says every sin is a sin that's an offense toward God and therefore repentance is turning away. And so the command was, turn from your sins. But it also requires, in fact, it's a, it's a word that says uh, uh, in that same verse, repent. And then the second word, believe in the gospel. And, and when you talk about believe in the gospel, that's come in the place of putting your confidence in God's provision believing that the payment that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins and realize that accepting that through His promise, you can have everlasting life by believing God's promise. 
But you see, as I mentioned, uh, that's what Linsky was trying to point out. Almost the rest of the gospel it's in the rest of the New Testament, when it uses the word believe, it, it follows by an accusative or direct object. What do we believe? And it's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you see the, the call, in fact, uh, this translation that I'm using in verse 17, and Jesus said, uh, follow me. But the literal translation means come after me. Now, what difference does it make? Well, we've just got over the Christmas season and... Uh, uh, you probably heard the name George Bailey. <laughs> uh, yeah, and somebody rang a bell and, you know, got the, well, you know, it's a made-up story, but it's a, there's a love scene in it, and you may not remember it completely, but uh, George is wanting, he's got so many desires, what he wants to do, but everything comes, you know, in between him and his desires. A war breaks out. His father dies. He got a mean man in town, and, you know, his kids... Everything seems to be getting in the way. And so when he's standing uh, one day in, uh, in, in the, a phone where a girl that was in love with him and he really was in love with her, they're standing there and he's listening to a phone call and he gets so upset and he says, and I want, I want, I want. And finally Mary says to George, George, what do you want? <laughs> and finally he says the right answer, I want you. And you see, that was the right answer that day. He, it turned out to be a love. Well, you see, that's the same thing with Christ. There's a lot of people who use religion, a lot of people who use things to get to what they really want. And so they simply use religion as a means to get what they want, not the means by which they want. And so when you talk about Jesus, come after me, come when you want me, when you need me, you realize who I am, come and follow me. That's the area of acceptance. But it's also this sense of urgency. As I mentioned, these imperatives is that which is now repent, now believe. He's calling them to immediate response to the gospel. I, again, as I think about stories, when I was growing up, we, we watched this weird show. Usually it was on Sunday night. It was called Twilight, uh, the Twilight Show. Yeah, Twilight Zone. That was it. Weird show. And I still think about those weird settings because they, they, they stuck in my brain somehow. That'll tell you about Hollywood. But anyway, all that to say is, so uh, there was these children around the swimming pool and they would jump into the swimming pool. And when they came out of the swimming pool, they were on supposedly the other side. Place that was perfect. There was only kids. Good food. Lots of fun. And so finally someone says, now listen... You, if you come here, you can't come back. And, and uh, they'd get close to the pool and they would hear parents saying, John, 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 come home. Somebody walked along and said something like this, don't worry, John. After a while, you won't hear them anymore. That was a weird thing, except, Brother Steve, when I moved here, there was this highway over here. I thought I had moved into a train station. All I could hear was, and I mean, when those tires of the diesels blew out, it would shake the windows. Well, when we had a cold spell like this and ice covered everything, nobody was on the highway. It was the spookiest thing in that house because I had got so used to hearing that sound that to not hear it was the strangest thing I could imagine. 
But what it's saying is there is the potential in all of us. There comes a times that we will cease to hear the danger that we are in. Assume that we will have another chance when we think it's right to hear Him and respond to Him. Now, I tell you, that's, a, that's an assumption because you and I know I have a friend that's just on the, the crest of eternity. But let me tell you something. We are all on the crest of eternity. And maybe the only thing that will keep us maybe here, which I don't know if we will or not, but the church did buy an AED, okay? So if I go down, I had an uncle, in fact, a great uncle, he was preaching, I understood, and he said, he sang a song that he wrote, and then he looked up toward heaven and says, praise the Lord, and he died in the pulpit. And I thought, boy, as a preacher, what a way to go. Of course, that might have a responsive, you know, I, everybody will be running for the AED. It's not that I'm afraid that somebody will shot me with the AED. I'm just afraid there's some of you who want to take turns, okay? Even after I respond again, you know, oh, no, no, one more time, my turn, I haven't had a turn. But all that to say is, you see, there's no guarantee in fact, uh, that's why the gospel is urgent because the Bible says as you hear the gospel, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Harden not your heart because there is not a guarantee if God speaks in your heart that you'll ever hear His call again. It might be like the highway. It just simply a noise that you hear and you forget what it was like to respond and therefore, it's important as he calls out for them. But this is the message that, as I mentioned, changing lives. Look at the last part of this, and we see that God began to encircle. He began to call others to the very same thing he was doing. He was going to uh, disciple those who would disciple others. They would be 12, and then there would be another group of 70 that they would do the same message, and the church would share the gospel and so there was the invitation, the Bible says, and so as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Galilee is about 12 miles long, 6 miles wide. In fact, Josephus said probably during the time where Christ was living, there would probably be over 300 boats, but he only went to two particular boats. One was a small boat. In fact, it was belonging to uh, Simon Andrew. Simon is a very popular name. I think there's 12 or 18 in the New Testament. Andrew's unique, but the Bible says uh, his brother Simon, they were casting the nets. Now the word casting nets here is, is probably what you've seen sometimes. Somebody throwing a net. It's like an umbrella. It would spread out and then they would close it back up and the Bible says they had been uh, cleaning their nets. In fact, uh, the Bible said, or casting their nets. In fact, the terminology that's used as though they were casting on one side and they were casting on the others. And Jesus said unto them, come after me or follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so he invited them to come and, and, and therefore they were chosen. He chose them to be his disciples. And, and then he uh, describes the, the next group. In fact, in verse 18, and, uh, or they immediately left their nets. And then verse 19, and going along a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, by the way, uh, Andrew and Simon's uh, uh, father was uh, Jonah or John, uh, son of Bar-Jonah. But uh, we don't read anything in here of his call. But here it was Zebedee. And the Bible says, with his brother John, and they were in a boat. And immediately they left their nets as he called to them also. He, uh, 
in, in verse 20. And immediately called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and their hired servants and went away and followed him. Now, three things very quickly, then I close. But as you look at this, there's first of all the invitation of God for a come and to be discipled. And so, therefore, he says, how they're discipled is they come and follow me. It's interesting that word follow me. I had to go back and look of it, look it up because it looks so much like the word we were studying uh, Wednesday night. It was that word to glue together. And really it has that same characteristic. And it also uh, corresponds with the word we have a word fellowship with. But what it literally means is come walk the road together. I, I think one commentary, I can't remember which one it was. But he says it's unique because it describes walking alongside. Follow sometimes has the idea of walking behind, but here it's walking in fellowship with the Lord. You, you see, you, you cannot follow Him. You can't be His disciple except if you're in fellowship with Him. And, and you can't be the disciple you should be apart from fellowship. It becomes a, the nature. In fact, we were talking about how the new believers in Acts, they were gluing themselves together, having fellowship Every single day they knew that they couldn't survive. They couldn't be what they needed to be and discipled and to be followers as they ought to unless they connected with others. And therefore they were connected as he called them. And then there is the change. He says, come and I will make you. In fact, uh, there were two particular word studies that said this is a progressive work that God was doing. And I will make you. It's not one of those instantaneous things. It's that process of I will begin to make you those who have the same passion for souls as I've come to share the good news for the passion of those who are lost to hear the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is a process. I, I'll never forget when Deanne and I both felt like we were called to the ministry and we really didn't want to talk about it because we weren't sure how the other person would respond. And one night we shared that this is what God seems to be in present. And, and it was the me too instant, you know, instance. That's exactly what I'm feeling. And so the next Sunday we went down and we had no idea what that meant. All we simply said is somehow God is calling us. And the preacher had the audacity to say, okay, well, next Wednesday night you'll lead the message. And I says, what? You know, I, I just surrendered to ministry. No, really? In the back of my mind, I thought, well, I guess Billy Graham will be calling me just any day. I tell you, I just, I, I waited on that phone call. It never did come. But all I had to say is, you know, I, I have no idea. I didn't know. I had no clue. And that's when he calls them, their identity is in several things. In that day, jobs were important. But there was something that was more important than their occupation. It was their family. And the Bible says when they left their father in the boat, was saying they understood that they were making something, the one in whom they were following, more important than anything in their world that they had known. Occupations, it's important. We talk about what we do many times when people ask us who we are. We describe us as a, a pastor or whatever task we might do because it's a big part of our identity of who we are. But he says, come and I'll, I'll teach you how to be fishers. And it's as though they says, we, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. We know how to catch fish. And they, they, they lost their identity and they began to follow Christ. And the Bible says they therefore abandoned father. Now, when later he's going to say, unless you hate father and mother, he's, he's not talking about the action. He's talking about comparative. 
In fact, it's uh, uh, the same thing we find in the book of Malachi. Uh, Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. It's an idea of in comparison to the love that you have for me, there can't be second place. There can't even be anything that looks close to the love you have for me. If you have something that you have in comparison or competition with Christ, you haven't responded to the call. The Bible says, therefore, they left those things. One of the great dangers, as I talked about the battle of the heart, and again, quoting from a, a Dr. Tim, I, I love quoting what the things that he says, but he was talking about the struggle that we have many, many times in that struggle has to do with the, the concept of our own will, having our way, not seeking his will. He said, first of all, he says, psychologically, there is nothing that makes us more miserable than self-absorption. You see, you, you can't have your will and his will. He can't be king and you be king. It, it doesn't work. You can't have uh, dad's permission to go or not to go and mom's permission. There can only be one word and, and that you respond to. It says nothing makes you more miserable than being absorbed, obsessed. How do I feel? How am I doing? What do, how are people treating me? Proving to myself, am I succeeding? Am I failing? How are people treating me? There is nothing more miserable, uh, nothing more psychologically degrading than self-centeredness. There is nothing more socially disintegrating. And again, he's just simply calling, uh, quoting from the psychology. They understand that. Years ago, I was uh, visiting with a family, and I, I remember the struggle the person was going through. And I, I simply said that there were some uh, places that they could get help, and they went, and boy, they were very brutal, but very honest, very truthful. If you're going to change, you're going to have to get self out of the way. That's a struggle all of us have, getting self, putting self aside so that God can have his will in our life. And so... Uh, after about several months, the person decided, well, they didn't like that. Went to a, another help place based on a worldly situation. That, that sin is not called sin, it's just simply called a, a sickness. The result was, no, it was the family. Everybody was out of place. You're in step, the world's out of step. And unfortunately, the person believed that. That it wasn't a me problem. It was them problem. And one of the struggles that we have when we come to finding our life in Christ is acknowledging it's not our will, it's His will. It's not my way, but it's His way. I, uh, there's a man by the name of uh, George McDonald wrote a wonderful children's book, and one of the things he quotes, and that's just highlights that same phrase. He says it like this. He says... Uh, there, uh, there is but one eternal will for each of us. And if we intend that each of us, uh, we have to choose which one. He wrote, if we be dead, uh, we will be dead as long as we refuse to die. You will be dead as long as you refuse to die. You see, that's exactly what he's describing. Until I abandon my way. The Bible says, pick up your cross, give up my way, and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want you. Boy, good news. You'll never be the same. Let me ask you to bow your heads and your hearts together and simply 
Acknowledge that God in His Son, through His Son, has brought you the message there is hope. There is truth. There is deliverance. There is peace. But you have to come and you have to follow me. Literally, you have to come after me. The tragedy of it is, is there's uh, divided wills. There's hearts that won't hear or have heard it over and over again. But there's never been a change. Jesus says, repent and believe the good message.